Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stock. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything within her at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show 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 welcome back to the board game community show today i am joined by an awesome game designer randy flynn how you doing Doing good. Thank you very much, Riley. Good. I'm really excited to have you. I, I already told you beforehand, but Phil Amelon, he's been on the show a couple times. He's actually, oh, well, he's technically the only person other than my wife to be interviewed in person. Uh, oh, there so, you go. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, uh, but he suggested I have you on, and that was the push I needed to finally ask you. And, and so I'm glad we, we're talking. This is great. Cool. So, what got you into board gaming? And it's always a fun question. I was like the origin story, the this and the yeah. that. Yeah, I tried to like tell different parts of it or different you know angles on it at different times. And but you know the way you ask it, like I played various games as a kid. Um, probably Scrabble the most. Uh, my dad, in particular, was a big Scrabble player. Um, but you know, played Yahtzee some. Played Monopoly when I was younger. Um, I'm probably forgetting a lot of a lot of the games we played along the way. You know, I certainly learned to play chess and backgammon and uh, some of that Parcheesi, Sorry, um, I also messed around when I was a kid with with some game design stuff, which is funny because I've forgotten it until actually I was on some other podcast or interview show and it suddenly occurred to me. Um, but I did some like uh, war games uh, that were like you know moving tanks around and stuff. Um, which I think had a lot to do with the, some of the friends I had at the time. They were kind of into that and um, learned all that. So I did a few different things. But I didn't play a lot of board games as, as an adult um, until I met my, my partner Marlene and her son. And I think at that point I, I had heard of Catan. And I didn't. I think I thought it was a video game at first. I was like, I just need to check this out. And then I learned that it was a board game. And I, that time I was living alone. I was like, <laughs> I don't know who I want to play this with. Um <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, we went out and found, you know, a number of games. I did some research on, okay, what games would work well for a nine or 10 year old. And, and, you know, we pulled up Catan, we pulled up Carcassonne. Those, it's funny. Those are the two, like, you know, <laughs> probably they were the ones most out on media and for good reason. Um, so that's, that's kind of where it started. We started playing that and kind of in fits and starts over the years, you know, it became more and less important to us as a family over the first couple of years. And then at a certain point it started to become like, the regular thing you know we we had nights where we played three games of Catan in an evening um the third one was always a mistake always a mistake (laughs) and rarely finished um but you know we were just down into it you know and I think I played 300 plus games of Ticket to Ride against other people online um at one point that was my like you know go-to late night unwind kind of thing so um, so that's kind of how I, how I, how I got into it. And, and we just started playing more and more as a family. And my 
my uh, sister-in-law and her partner joined us eventually. And we have a nice little game group that really we love, you know, really light games up to, yeah, I mean, through the group, we like to play medium heavy games, um, heaviest, maybe not so much in our, in that group, but, you know, we play some fairly heavy games too. And did that kind of lead to, where, where did design fall into this? Yeah, as we were playing, you know, board games, I, I just started thinking about that. I've always been a builder. Um, even when I was a kid, before I found uh, computers, I would build things out of wood. I built like shelves for my closet once. Um, some of that detail, I think, came from my grandfather. And uh, I just like to build things. Eventually, that led to a software engineering, you know, degree and, and, and career. Um, that was my favorite way to build things. But I looked at board games and I said, oh, this is a design problem. It's a, it's a building something, starting from nothing and making something. I like that. Um, I'm getting more knowledgeable about how games work and what I like and what I don't like. And uh, one of my favorite video games of all time is, uh, is the Sid Meier Civilization series. I used to play that, that, that a ton, um, a ton before I understood the implications of colonialism, I will say. Um, but I, I loved the game and how it worked, and I loved Catan as learning it. So I started designing like a board game that was a, a Civ game. Uh, and I just on my own, I would do it here and there. I started buying materials using almost no online resources. Like I was just clueless, um, about what was out there. Of course, not nearly as much was out there that, that back then, but there still were resources I should have been using, but I figured it out myself and kind of let it slide, you know, and then, and then at a certain point after letting it slide for a couple of years, I decided to get serious about it. And I became, again, like, like, like me playing 300 plus games of Ticket to Ride late at night. Now it was me in the office thinking it through and, and planning it out and, and what I call solo testing, me playing three players worth for, you know, several hours on end and going through it. And so that's, that's kind of what led to the start of design for me. That's awesome. I love that. I always picture So there's so many different ways to solo test. And I've heard people do different things of like, you know, just having it in front of them and they don't have to move. But I've heard some people will set it up at a table, get up, move to a different seat and like, you know, change their minds type thing. You know, like I am a new person now. I am no longer player one. I am player two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not them? easy. It's not yeah. easy, I'll say. And it depends on the game. You know, some games are easier to do this. Some are almost impossible to do this. You know, if there's any like bluffing or, you know, there's a number of different things that just like I don't understand how anyone could solo test such games. Uh, but most of the ones that I design in some way are, are, are solo testable. And yeah, for me, like uh, I found myself getting to the point where I would write at the start of the game, I'd think about the things I wanted to see and I'd write little notes for each of my players, like focus here, focus there. And it was just a guide. And sometimes, you know, games have luck and sometimes it'd be like, oh, this doesn't actually make any sense because of the cards I drew or something, but I might scratch it out and change it. And then I, you know, would do a lot of things where like, I would make sure that like if a player if a player in the game was supposed to have a hand of cards, when I was done, I would flip them over so there was no chance of me like looking when I was playing another player. Yeah. And, um, I don't keep things in my mind well enough. So it worked really well for that. Like literally I would move over. 30 seconds later, I'd forget half of what was in that hand anyway. So I'd be I'd just <laughs> fine. Um, but I do a lot of solo testing. It's interesting. I've talked with Sean Stankiewicz a bit about this from Flat Out Games and it does seem that there are some designers who do a lot of it, but there are many who just don't. Like, it's just not a big part of their process, either because they don't like it um, or, you know, I don't know. But um, Sean's also another one who does, you know, a lot of solo testing. Um, he also designs very good solo rules for games that often are very similar to 
you know, the game itself. And I think that helps him a lot too. He's designed some solo rules early and he can just like solo it and do a lot of work on it that way. So not something I've really dived into myself yet. Yeah. That's cool. What about your partner? Do you ever, I have to always ask this, you know, like partner, kid, do they play your games ever? Like during the playtesting phases? They do. It's varied a lot from game to game. Um, but, but they definitely have playtested a lot. Um, I've told this story a couple times, that Civ building game that I was working on. Of course, I got it to a point where I was like, oh, I can actually have people play this. I hadn't been tracking time when I played it myself or anything. You know, I knew it was a long game. It was a big, bigger game, but I was like, I don't know. So we actually sat down. We actually did one play test that we kind of stopped because we just had people had to go, a bunch of people. We had like five or six people. So the four of us sat down to play it, and um, – Two hours later, I was like, hmm, I'm taking up a lot of their time and it's going kind of well, but I don't think it's, you know, it's got a long ways to go. And I said, okay, it's been two hours. How are you guys feeling? Should we we just play another round or maybe two and be done? And they all kind of said, yeah, let's play another round or two or maybe they said two rounds and then let's just see how it goes. And um, to make this longer story short, as I've told it before, the game started getting better, which may have been the game, like it might have gotten into a good part or might have been the beer. Don't know which uh, or some combination. And we just didn't stop. And it we finished the game. So it was the first time a game of that finished six hours. We played this game for six hours. And let me tell you, the game is not complex enough. It's not, it's not TI4. Like it doesn't deserve six hours of play. It deserves maybe 90, 90 or 120 minutes um, at yeah. most. And so, but they, they got through it. And so, yeah, they've, they've done a lot of play testing for me of, of, of almost all the games. So that's pretty generous with their time, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome though. My wife, she's only play tested. I think one of my games and I'm I'm very grateful for that, but I think, you know, I will only take it to her at a certain <laughs> stage from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so totally get that. How's it been with Cascadia? You know, you uh, here at my house, uh, it's huge. We, we played it back in March at a convention. Somebody taught it to us. And then on Mother's Day, my wife was finally like, let's, let's just get it. We were at a bookstore and they had it there and she's like, come on, we love this game. And I was like, of course, like, you don't like, you could have said that at any point in the last two months. And I would have instantly gone online and bought it or gone to my game store and bought it. Like no arguments here. And we have played it. It's probably our, it's our second most, well, it's our most played game together. Um, And almost every single game night, we've taught it to multiple people. We've taught it to different groups. It's just, and several times before we even finished playing the game, they've gone online and bought a copy. So it's just like a phenomenal game. So, I mean, how's that feeling? Like to have a game put out there and just like blow up, I think, you know, you're winning awards, right. And you're, you're nominated. So. Yeah. It's been, you know, uh, it's funny. People say it was a surprise. How do you feel about this? You know, all that. And I was telling somebody this about this recently and it, it's like a slow burn though. Like it wasn't like, Oh, sign the game. It was released and it was a huge success. And Oh my goodness. You know, it's, it's like you go through these stages, right? Okay. I've signed it. I signed it with basically my friends to publish it who hadn't yet published a game. They hadn't Mm -hmm. even, you know, run a Kickstarter for the Kickstarter for Calico hadn't been run yet when I signed it. And so I was like, well, we'll see what happens. Whatever happens, I'll have fun developing this game with, you know, with my friends, you know, and all that. Um, and then of course Calico did 
wonderfully on Kickstarter, you know, won its own awards and, you know, was thought of for various awards, all that. So then it's Cascadia. It's like, okay, we don't have the orange tabby, you know, so it's, how's this going to do, you know, well, may not do as well as Calico. We just, we don't, you know, have that kind of pop to it. We love the art, we love everything about the game. We think the game is fantastic, but maybe, you know, and then we get to Kickstarter and it, and it goes well, but in between all of that, we'd actually done the real work. And, um, and that's, that's a lot of fun. And especially being part of the collabs or really myself working on it actively, it's a lot of fun. And you start to really see the game come together. Um, and that's just such a great feeling because I, you know, talk with people about it. It's like, well, I showed it to this publisher, you know, and they, they didn't bite here and, and later talk to them. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't see the, you know, the game that Cascadia is today. You saw kind of the kernel of the ideas. This publisher looked at me and said, no. I should have seen it. I'm like, I don't know. I know what the game was then. And I know what we did at the collab and how much better and how much more the game is than when it was signed. So, you know, it's like this and, you know, then, you know, you have a Kickstarter success. So each stage, you kind of get a little more confident that, that it's going to do okay. You know, Oh, it's not going to be a flash in the pan here. It's not going to do that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's very gratifying. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to see everyone on the team, you know, feel that reward for, for the hard work. Cause you know, I was there for all of it and got to see everything that everyone put into the game. And uh, so, so yeah, it's really, really fun, to, fun to go through. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, how many awards have you uh, won at this point? For design? <laughs> I guess you could go on BGG. Maybe there's a list. Um, I was trying to, yeah, I was wondering that. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't. I haven't counted them because you're right. At first, it was like this award, and that award, and then you know, there's a lot of varying sizes of awards and different kinds of awards, and you know, we've done pretty well in most of the kind of categories that Cascadia fits into. Um, yeah. So, so it's definitely definitely won you know a decent decent amount of awards. So that's 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 definitely nice nice to see, and it keeps the the buzz going. And when someone says, "Hey, this is a great game," and someone goes and searches it. They find good things to say, so you know, I'm sure it sure it helps the sales a lot, which is nice. Because um, I, just, I mean, one of the things I love about social media is getting to see the game played. I mean, you know, for people out there, I'll tell you, if you've posted about Cascadia with a picture, I've probably seen it. I, it's like, I mean, I know there's a lot out there, but I've probably seen those pictures, at least looked at them. Um, you know, because I do searches occasionally. It's just it's great to see the game in different contexts and people playing. Great to see it with kids playing. I love seeing when people talk about, hey, we play with our six year old, you know, and those family rules, nah, she had no problem. You know, she oh, loved nice. it. You know. Um, so which again, another credit to the collab for coming up with those rules and um, working that out to try and, you know, maximize who can play it and who can get enjoyment from it. Yeah. Yeah, we I post pictures on there and you've liked a few of them and I'm always like, Oh yeah, like, <laughs> I'm glad he likes it. You know, like I, I don't know. You genuinely enjoy seeing your game out there and the joy that it brings to people. So, which it does. Um, when you were saying playing with kids, we played it uh, up at a cabin a couple weeks ago and my nieces and nephews were there and they're younger. One of them probably could have played the family rules, but we just had them drawing chips and turning over tiles for us. And they were ecstatic to do that. Although they definitely cheated, you know, they would like, we'd see them looking in the back for a bear and put it on a bear tile, like match it up with a bear tile. And 
<laughs> but we figured, you know what? It's fair because they're doing it for everyone. Like they just really want to match those tiles. And right. so we're all playing on go. an even playing field there. As long as they weren't <laughs> playing favorites, you're fine. Exactly. <laughs> they yeah. did for a second, but it was for my wife. So I was like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> then they were, they realized, oh, I'm getting away with it. I can keep doing it. <laughs> uh, but yeah we love the production we love everything about it it's just such a fantastic game i know we have another game night planned and that's like the first my wife is always like this is the first game i want to play and then we can play other games but i want to make sure to get this one in so um yeah thanks for designing a game that my wife loves to play <laughs> quite welcome yeah and that i love to play that's also another thing right like it's deep enough so yeah uh anyways you know I could just shower you with praise here. Everybody loves praise and doesn't get uncomfortable around it, right? <laughs> um, no, but uh, I've seen some of what you've been working on next. I can't pronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. Um, I'll let you. Well, I, yeah, I, I pronounce it, you know, kind of double checking all that online as Tabriz. Um, so close, I think. There you go. Yeah. Um, I've heard it pronounced a little differently um, by an Iranian American, too. So, um, you know, I think there's kind of different accents on it and stuff, you know, how you how hard you hit the A. So, um, but yeah, Tabriz is a you know city in northwestern Iran, Azerbaijan region um, that was on the Silk Road, um, has a bazaar that's like the like the longest uh, running uh, indoor bazaar in the world, I believe. Um, and it has a special section for Persian carpets. Um, so that's kind of why I, when I was trying to name the game, um, so that came out and that this, this is, this name is actually mine. Cascadia was, you know, a name come up with, with the collab. Um, we actually debated it a good bit with different options, but with Tabriz, this was the name I gave the prototype once I, uh, once I set the theme on the game. And so that, that held up. I would, I think I was supposed to ask you, the group that I played it with last is like, why is it called Cascadia? That's not a real word, you know? <laughs> and we came up with theories, but I, well, what was the reasoning? So, you know, when we were going through, through names, one, the prototype was called Lands and Creatures. Um, and it was a name that I came up with, like, literally right before a playtest event when I suddenly went... Oh my goodness, I need a name to put on this thing. Like Nicole wants a name and it's going to have to go on the sign. And so I was like, okay, we, we put creatures on lands or lands and creatures. Good. And I will tell you through a lot of the debate about the names, that name had a chance of being the name of the game. There were people who liked it all the way to the end. Um, but having, you know, a nice catchy one word name is, is, is a powerful thing if, it, if it's appropriate and, and evocative. And so, you know, that's when we came up with Cascadia. So, you know, uh, much of the flat out team uh, and the, the collab live in Cascadia. Um, so Seattle's in Cascadia, uh, Victoria's in Cascadia. Um, and so a lot of us live in Cascadia. And, you know, when I signed the game with them, it was not themed to Cascadian creatures yet. So it wasn't a Pacific Northwest theme, but I'd had that in mind. Like I, I was like, I think I'm going to change this to, because it was kind of generic animals and uh, when I talked with uh, the flat out folks about signing it, I mean, they were all kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely what we should do. And so immediately after signing it, we changed a couple of the, the animals. But the name discussion was was definitely interesting. We had, I think, Cascadian Creatures was, was a possibility um, and all that. But to your point, like we knew there would be a whole lot of people who would have no idea what Cascadia was. 
If you live in the Pacific Northwest, you're going to know the term. You may not know exactly its multiple definitions, political and environmental and various things, but you would be familiar with the words. We live in the Cascade Mountains. It would, you know, all kind of sync together. But we knew that certain parts of even in the U.S., people would be like, no. And we're just like, I think I was the one who said this. It's a pleasing word. Like, even if they don't know what it is, they're probably going to pronounce it with no problem and maybe be curious. What is this word? It's kind of cool, you know? And I think that's kind of how it's panned out. I've definitely seen people who've said they had no idea. Some of them not in the U.S., but some of them in the United States, you know, having no idea didn't surprise me at all. And they still, you know, the name worked. So, Yeah, we're in that group. Literally four of us sitting around a table last (laughs) week being like, is it, if somebody was said, is it because it like, cascades you know like you're cascading animals and then just throwing that out there so like we we were not even close we're totally unaware so cool and we all i think everybody was like well it's fun to say nonetheless so yeah bravo well that's cool i yeah literally didn't know that and i'm sure maybe i'm sure my listeners are smarter than me so (laughs) but if you didn't that's okay too you know learn something new um, all right. So back to Tabriz. D- shoot. Did I say that right already? Did I, I already get that right? So okay. Well, yeah. Um, so you, are you selling the Persian carpets? Or? Your job in Tabriz is to make Persian carpets. So okay. you have three workers, assistants that you move around the market between trading stalls and shops and some gambling bits with dice where you want to gather materials to make Persian carpets to meet commissions. So you basically have commission cards that you're going to draw and have privately in your hand, knowing what you need to put that carpet together. Um, And the commissions that you uh, complete give you points. They give you immediate money. They give you possibly income or other ongoing benefits, like the ability to trade this material for that material at the end of every round, if you want, like upgrading basically. Um, And, you know, so the key thing is that you have these three workers that move around and each turn you move one of them up to three spaces around the market and take the action on the tile or, you know, shop, trading post, whatever that you land on. And each round means you move each of the three workers. So the workers all start standing. And when you use one, you lay it down, say that it has to sleep (laughs) or rest. Um, And then once everyone's played all three of their workers, you know, one at a time, then the round is over. Some things happen. Your workshop abilities got like income and other things come into play. And you, you know, kind of keep doing that till someone hits a certain number of commissions completed. Um, There's one or two other end game conditions, but so, yeah, that's kind of the, the basis of it, basics of it. That's awesome. And is it signed yet? So, yeah, it's going to be going to crowdfunding this fall. Uh, oh. I think it's going to be September or October, Game Found. Um, the page is actually already, it's been up. In fact, already the first update has already been sent um, on, on Game Found with, you know, some more information. So they'll be, you know, putting together more information about the game slowly before the, the campaign starts. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of art out there and pieces and rules and uh all of that so it's it's in pretty good shape actually yeah i mean i love the cover art that i've seen and i swear i've seen a little something more on twitter probably yeah there's been a few of the tile bits that show up in the art there's been um they did a post recently with the the meeples the meeple shapes and kind of the colors although photography and 3d printing they weren't weren't really very accurate um yeah 
But it's still, nonetheless, that was actually cool because it led to people talking about the accessibility of the colors. And even though the colors on those weren't the, they weren't really matching what was planned, um, it started the conversation. I think it made some connections, and they're going to get a few more eyes on the colors that they are going to choose. So that's okay. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty nice. But yeah, there's been a few other things that, that have come out art, and there'll be there'll be more. Uh, but yeah, the the box cover. Um, Sid Feeney, uh, graphic artist, a graphic novel artist, uh, asked to do this, Iranian American. And, oh yeah, I, I got to see the process of that box cover coming together, um, from the idea of it all the way up to it being end and all the adjustments along the way. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I just love the box cover myself. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, look at you working with these amazing artists really like you've got beth sobel on cascadia and now this like yeah and and dan may is doing the art direction and the graphic design and some of the smaller pieces of art for tabriz um so he's kind of driving all of that and and that's actually amazing too i mean he's going to deserve you know a huge part of the credit for just how the whole thing looks together and drives together um, you know, it is. I, and, you know, to your point, when I signed it with Flat Out, you know, Beth had was doing the art for Calico. And that, that was one of the first questions for Sean. I said, so if you're signing it, that does mean you're asking Beth to do the art, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, it's it's been really, really nice. And it's it's cool to be a part of that process. I know that with a lot of games and, and designers, and I know I'll have this experience in the future, like it's kind of a throw it, you know, it's signed, it's throw, thrown over the wall, maybe you get a few updates and then boom, you see something close to the final product. And I know I'll go through that as well, but right now I've been lucky enough to be very involved in one of the processes and kind of kept in, in kept along the way and seeing it coming in the other. And I, I definitely really enjoy that. Yeah. I Something that it took me a few minutes to realize uh, when I was looking at the objective cards in Cascadia I was like, oh, they cheated here. That's cool. Like, it looks like unique art, but you just mirrored it on two yeah. of the cards, right? You know, and and I loved that. I was like, that's a very smart way to make it feel unique, but also not have to, like, put in the time and money. Uh, yeah. To, you know, that that does, it costs money. per costs money. It costs time. You have to have the artists, you know, the artist has their schedule, you know, yeah. and, and you've got to have the time in it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I actually agree. I thought it was, you know, an ingenious solution. It was funny. Then we're like, okay, but we have four cards, but we actually have five with the promo. Yeah. So what is it? Okay. Well, it's going to be uneven. One, one, one of the mirrors is going to have three and the other's going to have two. It's like, okay, I guess that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Acceptable. I suppose. You know, just later down the road, you'll come up with some sort of expansion and you can mirror it then. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, that's really exciting. I'm excited. So this fall, right? Yeah, September or October. Okay, great. We can look forward to that. You got some. It's with uh, it was a crafty games. Yes. Okay, so yeah. um, you got some like Kickstarter exclusive stuff planned, or or game. So Found, or what were you doing on? It's going to be on GameFound. Sorry. Um, they, they, one thing they are doing is there's a, for those who sign up to be notified, you know, so kind of the save on Kickstarter and, or notify here. Um, if you then back the campaign, there's going to be a free gift for folks who had signed up ahead of time. Um, and I think it's actually a couple of things like uh, the game comes with a number of dice that get used and the ones that are, there are ones on the tiles and ones off. And we say those are put in the, the dice pool. 
And so one of the things they have there is a cool little cardboard kind of dice holder um, that won't be part of the main game, but you'll, you'll get if you signed up to notify early. Um, and it's going to be a fairly like, you know, uh, nice production, a little, a little more deluxe, uh, the one that's on game found so you're going to see some, some fairly nice pieces in there, which, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I mean, let's face it. Well, all of us board gamers, we love seeing that deluxe stuff. We like the tactile feel of, of the wood chips and the, you know, upgraded bits and everything. So linen yeah, we just cards. played, we just played quacks of Quedlinburg for the, we hadn't played it in a little while and played it with my son who hadn't played it. I was like, I'm pretty sure he's going to like this one. Uh, but we have those upgraded bits. My partner Marlene bought them, you know, at one point because we played it a bunch and knew they were good. And they came down, I think originally those upgraded little bits cost the same as the game. Yes. Um, and they sold out because anyone who got them realized they were that good. They felt amazing. And I showed him the original bits and he went, oh, huh. Yeah, it's like, yeah, these upgraded bits feel nice. They work really well with the game. It's really nice when things feel kind of appropriate. And to that Cascadia, you know, there's always discussion about how thicker the tile is going to be, how thicker these going to be. And, um, you know, that's one of the key considerations as, as a publisher. Like, you want them to feel good. And then you want to find out that that's affordable. You know, does, can we actually yeah. afford to do that? Cascadia has 100 wood tokens, for instance. So, you know, we had to be very careful about that. But we wanted to make sure that people, you know, pull in those t- tokens from the bag that that they it felt right that it felt good that they you know that was an enjoyable thing um and i I, you know i think that turned out pretty well i agree yeah the only thing we you know hey while i got you here i can complain (laughs) at you no i'm sure other people say the same thing of like it would have been nice to have a bag for the the tiles and we've talked about just going and buying it you know, yeah. aftermarket bag to do that. And that was the conclusion. Like, well, people can buy a bag. Yeah. That, that was discussed quite a bit because it definitely could have been included. Um, it's, it's interesting though. I mean, it has implications. It's not, even if the cost is right, it's not a no brainer decision because oh, absolutely. Um, one tiles wear more um, when you pull them in out of the bag, the cardboard ones especially do. And with hexes, that's going to be even stronger. And these hexes are bigger than the ones in Calico. So I think the wear would be more. So you'd get more tile wear out of it. Um, that's one. Two, uh, and this is more important. This is important in Ca- Cascadia. It doesn't matter in Calico at all. Is, um, is, is It's a game timer, right? Oh, right. And so um, when they're hidden in the bag, I, I play Carcassonne with a bag. We, you know, I think the second one of the expansions had a bag. And I do. I love the bag in Carcassonne for the tiles. But the one thing you lose is a very visual game timer that goes down. You have to be like, well, how many are left? You know, someone reaches in the bag. I don't know, like, like 10, maybe. <laughs> um, whereas with Cascadia, that's one thing I like about not having the bag is that you can literally see it and go, okay, there's this many. So, okay, I have like three more turns. Good. You know, <laughs> that I did not think about. So I will just tell, you know, people when they say that next time, I'll be like, well, here's why. And it'll make a lot of sense because I do the exact same thing. I'm like, ooh, we're on like our last two turns probably. Okay, like time to really stretch out those, you know, am I going to focus on animals or am I going to focus on the land? The the trick in Cascadia, if you do, the quickest way to determine where you are is to count your wildlife tokens. Because that will be exactly how many you've played. And every version of the game, you play 20. So it's up. I have 16, so I have four more turns. Yeah. Um, I actually made the mistake for a long time of counting the tiles, knowing that I just needed to subtract three since you start with a, with a trihex out there. But it was at some point, the bell went, the little bell went off my head. 
oh, if I just count the wood tokens, I get an exact number and I don't have to do that math. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's smart too. There we go. <laughs> we do the same, we do the counting of the types because there's 20 of each type. So we'll be like, okay, is it worth pushing my luck to try and get another bear? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, like, okay, we got 16 bears out, four more in the bag. Uh, maybe I should move on to the next thing, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fun. People love, people love bears. It's always bears. It's right. always bears. Sometimes salmon. Sometimes salmon too, but it's always bears. Okay. That's funny how that works because, yeah, my go-to is always salmon at first and then bears. And all four of us were going for bears last time we played. And so the joke became like, they should have called this game Bear Pair. Like, <laughs> because yeah. that's what we all want. We just want bears of bears. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. Yeah. But Cascadia is way better. <laughs> Are you working on some more games? I'm sure, like, uh, you can't just be moving straight from game <laughs> to game, right? Like, yeah. you've got to have always, those in betweeners. It's a fun challenge to figure out what to work on, to be honest. Um, I, I really enjoy having games that, uh, like, different stages of, of work. Um, probably the only difficult part to that was when we were heavy in, in development work on Cascadia, because here's my first game. Like it was hard not to just put every ounce of energy into Cascadia. Um, there was a lot to do and, and, you know, your hours mattered. So if you actually had you know, solid work to do, we did it. So the other games lost a little bit of uh, focus, um, there but generally i like to have something that's you know yeah i love to have something like signed and 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 being finalized or something about to be signed you know and i'm you know tweaking all the you know have some in the middle that i'm you know kind of iterating on trying to get to their end state and then then new ideas um, but it is hard for me to work on multiple games like in any one of those states at a time so like if i have two early ideas like i almost have to set one aside for a while um, and just focus on one of them. Well, I can still work on some in the other stages at the same time and go back and forth, but especially the early ideas, they tend to consume you at a certain point. Um, you know, so I was already, I had a game getting, you know, getting it signed. It's very, you know, near the end. I have, I like, I just had these three tasks left and I could do those over the next few weeks. And then I had this game idea that I've been working on for a long time and ups and downs. And, and then it hit a new idea that I was, Oh, I think that's the direction I need to take this. And it just sucked all of my attention away from, from the other one. Um, so <laughs> luckily that went well, but still it's like, uh, I need to get back to this other game. I've got these three tasks I need to finish up on. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. It's right there. I'm almost there, but I, I totally get that. Right. Like when inspiration strikes, when the iron's hot, you got to go with it. Yeah. And that's, and you know, and that's when I talk to people about Cascadia, you know, when the idea struck coming back from a vacation, I mean, the next two weeks in particular, but the next, you know, month still like that was like every waking hour of thinking about, you know, game design. Like it just, uh, it's just like I had it and I just like needed to go, go, go until I felt confident in it. And, and it, it took, it took every bit of focus to, to do it. And I'm like, well, that paid off. So, yep. When it strikes and you, and you think you're in that zone, it's like you, probably need to follow, follow your gut and, and do it. Yeah. So can you tease any other things you're working on or? Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, and one I've talked about a little bit, there's a little bit about it on social media is Railworks. 
this is a pickup and deliver railroad game that I'm co-designing with Aaron Mesburn, a designer of Verdant and designer of Overboss um, and a few other things. And we've been working on this game for quite a while uh, as a kind of a pandemic start. Uh, the Like 99 and a half percent of this work has been done virtually. Um, and uh, and we have, we've had some really good publisher discussions about it. It's gone through about three different kind of iterations of, of, I don't say what it is, but, you know, big shifts in how it was working. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a joy to work on and, uh, you know, it's something different. So, yeah, still, still working on getting that one signed, but, but honestly really happy with how that's gone and the process. And it gets to something like a question people often ask me, it's like, well, what kind of designer are you? Like, what, what kind of games do you like to design or this and that? I tell people like, okay, I do a lot of tile laying stuff because I've had some success with it. I have a lot of prototypes that I think are pretty good, you know, tile laying. But really what I like to do is say, hmm, I haven't designed a game like this before. I kind of like these kind of games and, and let me see what I can come up with, you know. So that had a lot to do with, you know, how Railworks came about because Aaron actually reached out to me about co-designing something. And he had some ideas. I had some ideas. We threw it out there and I was just like, I'd really love to do a train game. And I think Aaron was thinking of something um, simpler, like maybe Cascadia level of complexity, you know, and things. And but when I when I we start talking about the train game, he's like, "Okay, yeah, let's let's see what happens." Um, and uh, so I've done that with that. I, I've done that with an area control game, and it's you know, area control is not uh, is not a genre or mechanic I play a lot of. Um, it's one I can enjoy, but also one I could be like take or leave at times. Um, so it's like, well, what, what would it look like if I tried to design one of those, for example? So you know, I keep trying to, to push myself in those directions, um, you know, while not abandoning what I seem to do well at, but still just keep spreading out, trying different designs and different different kinds of things. Well, I love that. Yeah, you got to experiment and stretch your comfort zone so that you can get better at those those other things. And, and you never know what's going to spark that inspiration for something that would be perfect for something that's already in your strong, you know, suit there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting. sounds like you've got a lot. You're not, you're not short on ideas. <laughs> no, I'm never, never short on ideas. I, I, sometimes I'm like, do I have the, do I have the best ideas to pursue at the moment? I might question myself. Um, but, but the ideas are, are pretty much always there. And, that, and that's the thing. I mean, I, it gets said a lot these days. I think people really recognize this. Uh, you know, inspiration and ideas are, are great and they're, they're necessary for a lot of game design work. But it's the hard work of taking the idea and making it into something that's important. And it's why a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, don't be afraid to put your stuff out on Twitter because or social media and, and, and show it and talk about it because what when you go from that idea to this awesome game it's it's all the work you put in in the middle that that really does the job and um and so you know like my notes for cascadia that that led to cascadia were pretty simple it's just like a double tile laying game where the first layer of tiles you know dictates how you can play the second set of tiles Hmm. on top of them that was it that was the note um, yeah which was you know made more than a year earlier than when i actually pursued it um, so, you know, was that an idea? Yeah, it was an idea. It wasn't a game and <laughs> it, it could have turned into something mediocre, you know, except some other things sparked alongside it and made a nice combination. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Let's go to outside of board. Or is, is there anything you want to talk about board game related right now? Um, <laughs> what, uh, oh, what have you been playing actually? What you've been playing lately? 
Uh, let's see. Well, I just told you we, we played some quacks. We've been, yeah. been pulling some, you know, stuff out. Uh, I mean, I've played a few different games recently that, that are games I've played a bunch of, and they've come out, you know, anew for various reasons. And I'm trying to think, well, what, what else falls into that category? We played some high society. We've played, oh, we've played um, Sheriff of Nottingham twice recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, I got the chance to play the second edition of that, which I think came out a year or two ago. Um, but that's a game that got a lot of play back when my son was initially playing um, a good bit of board games. It's the kind of it's the kind of game kind of game he loves, and uh, and it, it can be a lot of fun with him playing. And he hadn't played it in a long time, and we we had some new people, and I had bought some games during our vacation, and I, I oh we'll get the get the second edition of uh, Sheriff of Nottingham, and um, that was an interesting experience because one we had a lot of fun playing. It worked out just like like I thought it would. It was really good. Um, but also, I got to see the changes they made in the second edition of a game I had played a lot of years ago, and yeah. it wasn't just a styled update. Um, you know, there's a number of different changes in that. Um, and one is just it's two to six player or three to six players instead of three to five. Um, somehow the box got twice as big with that. I don't quite get the math there, and I haven't really figured that out. But it's funny. Um, but then they changed the drafting of the cards or the drawing of the cards. It used to be a little more complex with its own system with two discard piles and all this stuff. And they just changed it to, no, 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 you have a deck. And when you draw, you draw off the top. That's it. And I was like, my immediate reaction was, oh, my goodness. That sounds so good. Like, why wasn't it that way from the beginning? You know, whatever. And then we played it. And I was like, yeah, they, they learned. They learned from people playing and talking to them that that was a part of the game that was just fiddly for very little gain. And it played, it played much more smoothly without that. So, you know, a, a, a very good game got even better um, with that change. It was kind of nice to see. I've heard several designers, uh, this might be off air, but so I just won't say any names or games, but <laughs> who have said like, you know, they have a very popular big game and they, it's like years later, all of a sudden they realize like, oh, why did I do this this way? If I could do a second edition, I would... <laughs> completely get rid of this or completely change this thing and it would make the game so much smoother Um, but yeah it's just kind of interesting so it's fun to be able to see companies and games get big enough and get that like uh that second edition to be able to get that refined edition Um, yeah but yeah that's cool um what's your favorite do you have this is the hardest question on the podcast but what's your favorite game oh that's it's easy for me that's concordia Hands okay. down, my favorite game. Yeah, yeah, I know. Try, uh, you know, trading in the Mediterranean game, uh, but uh, just the most elegant game of that kind that I've I've ever seen. And I love that it's so that it works so elegantly. The rules are so nice and tight that it has all these different end conditions that yet somehow tug at each other nicely, and and that you can make different variations and expansions, and and it, and it holds together well. Uh, I think with a game like that, sometimes it can feel like, oh, it's big enough that we can just throw an expansion in there and people won't realize how loose it is until years later and we'll be fine. But with Concordia, it doesn't seem that way. It seems like they've got such a good core set of rules that they add something, they tweak it nicely, and it's like, wow, that's actually really good. I mean, there's some expansion bits I like more than others. It's just like Carcassonne, which different level of game that I think has uh, a very similar thing going on where you know, they've made some amazing expansions for it. Um, you know, some that I like want to play with every time. So, yeah, I love that when a 
game has an expansion that just feels like this belongs. This is, yeah, it just fits in. Yeah, yeah. I will never not play with this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've never played Concordia. I've heard so many good things about it, but it's it, just like you were saying, that dry theme. Uh, it has yeah. always deterred me from being the one to be like, hey, let's get this game, you know? And, <laughs> yeah, so and I get I that. For many people, it. it is a bit. Yeah, for many yeah. people, that that's that's an issue, and I get it. I totally get it. Um, but I will say this. The dry theme fits with, like, let's call it the dry game. And I don't use that as an insult, my favorite game. So, of course, I'm not insulting it with that. Um, right. It's a very dry game. It's a very, you know, mathematical, you know, figure out where to go. And yet it has lots of semi-direct player interaction. I think it's one of the beauties of the game. Um, it's uh, unlike Carcassonne, which I also love. As I think it's an amazingly designed game. But Carcassonne has, the, the like, the opposite thing. Many people who come to Carcassonne think there's very little player interaction or it's kind of random or it's this. And then they play with someone who knows the game and is playing to win. And all of a sudden they're like, I'm playing a different game now. Because, you know, Carcassonne, if you know the game and you're trying to win, it'll be brutal. It will be really, really brutal because your best move is often not to score points. It's to prevent your opponents from scoring points or finishing something, stranding their workers. You know, those things are much more powerful than you getting those four points for that little city. But it can yeah. take people, including me, a long time to realize that. Um, and plus, Carcassonne, you make beautiful cities. When I first played Carcassonne, I was more concerned with a nice-looking city that's like, than I was with, like, winning or losing or scoring well. <laughs> so, um yeah. I mean, hey, that ties right back to Cascadia. And one of the reasons we love playing it is because win or lose, right? You can get absolutely slaughtered. But by the end, you've got this beautiful map you've built, you know? Like, right. So I totally. And that was a goal. That. that was absolutely a goal. I mean, you know, we talked about that with Bath. Not that much had to be said to Bath in this case. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, nature, we want to look really nice together. Like, <laughs> Go Beth, you know, come back with something wonderful. But it, it was very much a thing. Is that it's like, oh, we want it so that when people are done, they've got something they actually would love to take a picture of. You know, it's like oh, this yeah. thing. And um, and we figured if we liked taking pictures of it, you know, having played it hundreds of times, that other people probably would too. And I'm like, yeah, I, I still take pictures of these boards to this day, and I love seeing pictures of people who have made like crazy river patterns and stuff, you know, they'll go through it and play. And like, I've never quite seen that before. You know, I'm like there's not a lot of complexity to these pieces. Like I feel like there's only so many ways to put them together. And yet I've never seen any one snake one like that, you know, exactly. Yeah. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I think flat out games, they do a great job of doing that type of stuff, right? Like uh, obviously Calico, yeah. very photogenic game. Uh, we yeah every time we played that i would take pictures of that um and verdant i think will be the same way but yeah i i, I agree i mean verdant doesn't quite have the putting things together i mean you do you put together it but it's very um you know it's two dimensionals you know square um so it's less of that but but the color on the cards and the various things i mean you know uh, it's just this, those cards are gorgeous, um, and and the way that they put in the colors and all of that, it 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 really has very pleasing look at the end. So I I think you're right. Yep, I th it's a it's a good hook. It's a good way to hook people in is to make it so that it's just very visually pleasing, whether you win or lose or or whatever. Yeah. So. Well, there's I mean there's a reason that that Stonemaier Games and uh, and the artists all spent time making you know all of those bird 
the bird art, you know, just oh, to yeah. put on a card, one card, you know, this really nice, you know, bird art. You play that game and every year you're looking at this. Oh, huh. Yeah. I don't know where this bird, I don't think I've seen this bird before. I want to see one now. This is really cool. You know? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, all right. Now let's move outside of board games. What do you like to do? Uh, see, I like to play basketball, um, which the pandemic largely killed. Uh, <laughs> except How for tall are you? <laughs> Six feet even. So okay. not particularly tall. Um, although on a pickup game court, six foot is more like a forward, so probably playing more like a you know six nine player in the NBA. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I used to play in a league uh, once a week, uh, and I a long time ago I used to play pickup two or three times a week, like in the morning, like hardcore. Oh, um, wow. But since the pandemic, we did buy a hoop for our driveway, so we get to shoot a little and play with my son, some who also played basketball in high school, and. Uh, that but i haven't gotten back to we haven't been able to get back to you know the leagues yet and i haven't really pushed it i'm a little out of shape uh through the pandemic so i like i'm also kind of working on that so i'm kind of ready to get it back on the floor but that's that's my that's my game that i play ironically i was a huge supersonics fan here in seattle for years going to games on a friend of mine's tickets and um, once they left I just stopped watching basketball. Um, oh, man. So, yeah. Um, but it was well-timed because it happened two years before the Sounders came to Seattle, and at which point my watching sport became soccer. So that's what I say. I play basketball, but I don't really watch it. I watch soccer, but I don't really play it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan now, especially uh, the MLS and, and American soccer, which is unusual for huge soccer fans who tend to, you know, watch a lot more European soccer for good reason. Um, and I do watch some, I do pay attention to it quite a bit, but yeah. still I love watching the MLS and love watching the sport. I feel like I got in at the right time. Um, not just for Seattle because of course we got the team, but I feel like uh, I got into a period where the quality of play in the league has just continued to improve, you know, almost every year. And that, that's been a lot, a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I soccer got really big here in Utah cause we have real Salt Lake and mm-hmm. it's a, I know that, you know, even my brother started playing who is not, he's like, has been anti-sports his whole life, but he, he all of a sudden started playing soccer. So um, yeah. it's, yeah, well, I think it's fun to watch. Real Salt Lake, Nick Romando. Oh, one of the best keepers of the MLS has had and a huge thorn in the Seattle Sounders side while he was in <laughs> Real Salt Lake. I loved slash hated watching him play. Um, it was kind of sad that he uh, never got above like, the third string for the U S national team. Um, because man, that man was talented. It was talented. Like I'm not a huge sports guy. And so like, especially video games, I love playing video games. Rarely will I ever play a sports game, but I'll play FIFA. I love playing FIFA on the Xbox. I went through about five years. I think FIFA 10 to about 15. I played, I played quite a bit. So I played myself out on it, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's fun. I haven't played for a couple of years, but it, it's like the only sports other than if you go way back to like uh, NBA or Street, whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, know what you're talking about. NFL Blitz, all those anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what else have you got? What other hobbies? Um, I, I love to, to hike and backpack. Uh, some things I don't do nearly as often as, as I want to. Um, but planning a backpacking trip this summer. Um, so I've done, did a lot of backpacking in Colorado as a kid. 
um, and still still done some as an adult too. But also, since I've been in the Seattle area, I've done a decent amount of backpacking over the years here and there um, in the Cascades and uh, over in the, the Olympic Mountains. Um, so, yeah. And part of that has been for me is fishing. Uh, so fishing for me is a high altitude <laughs> activity for the most part. So usually involves backpacking, not always, but usually. Are you a fly fisherman? So I learned to fly fish, the actual, you know, casting a river runs through it and all of that. And so yeah. I, I, I know the basics, but I was never good enough not to spend half my time untangling things. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I failed at it, but I decided it just that it wasn't the best choice for, for me. I spent a, spent a good bit of time taking lessons and <laughs> doing various things to, to get to the point of saying, yeah, this probably isn't the way I want to fish. Um, I do fish with flies, um, but it's a much simpler fly and bobber kind of method that my dad taught me when I was younger. So Nice. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> fly fishing is, I don't know, it's wild. I think it's fun to see, but I don't think I could do it. I don't know. Probably don't have the patience to learn it, but I've got friends that do it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun thing to watch. After someone who knows what they're doing, fly fishing, it's it can be incredibly elegant. Um, oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. yeah, yeah. We see it all the time when we're like driving to some mount, you know, through the mountains and stuff, and there's yeah. rivers, and people are just standing out there fly fishing. It's yeah. pretty cool. And you said you're a software engineer, so that's really. I am surprised. So there are, I feel like there are a lot of software engineers that do design and teachers that do design. I feel like that's two industries we just like pull from. Yeah, it's interesting. I, yeah, I guess I see the same thing. I mean, I, I've, I'm very aware of the software engineer side. I mean, I know, I know many software engineers and as a software engineer, I know why I, you know, like I talked about earlier, being a builder, like, you know, it's the same thing. You're building stuff. You're putting systems together and figuring out how they work together and all that. So it, it, it really gets into it. But you bet you actually, yeah, you're right. I certainly on Twitter and otherwise know quite a few teachers who are, who are designing designing games. And that's I hadn't really thought thought too much about that. I might have to, might have to ask a few of them about it, what their thoughts are. Yeah. I wonder if my wife's a teacher. So I always wonder, like, is it that whole of, of like, the way something is taught to somebody or what kind of, I don't know. I think there's just like a certain level of like that education and teaching somebody something or the way something adds up and works together. Um, I don't know. Certainly, I think, um, I mean, sometimes underappreciated, although I think by the people I know it's very well appreciated is how part of designing a really accessible game is designing it to be easily taught. Um, and so, you know, actually that should or can often does affect your design. Like there are definitely things that I have designed like that is really cool. I love the incentives and in I love this. I love that. And then I, then I step back and say, you know, I know that all of that because I designed it. And I was there every step of the way. But now if I have to explain that to someone. What is that like? What is that process like? And how likely is it that everyone within a couple of minutes goes, got it. I'm like, oh, I don't see it. I don't see it. You know? So, and a teacher, I, you know, I, I would think would be really good at that part. And maybe quickly realizing or just quickly going down better paths to things that, you know, can be taught because they, they understand what, what is needed to make something, you know, reasonably easy to teach. Yeah. So, yeah. That is 
so interesting because the last game night we did, we did Cascadia first and I taught it and probably took like 10 minutes to teach because um, I'm a bad teach. <laughs> <laughs> I am not great at teaching games. And uh, and the other person, like we were, uh, after that we played Lords of Waterdeep and my wife's friend is a teacher and she was teaching us that. That was our first time playing it. And she probably taught it in maybe like five minutes and we all knew exactly how to play it from that <laughs> teacher. We were like, this seems more complicated than Cascadia. Like Definitely. You, you summarized that so well yeah, uh, that yeah. we could just like start playing and going at it. So well, I'm curious in, in your group, like, cause this is definitely one of the things I've learned about board games over the years is like, you know, are the, the learners, the people who needed to be taught, like, are their learning styles similar? Because I know from T I I'm often the person teaching games, you know, in our group. Yeah. Same. And, and, so I'm teaching people with different learning styles and certainly almost everyone I teach has different learning style from me almost. And so I'm someone who you can step through all of the rules, give me an overview of the point and what's going there and then step through the rules and I'm good to go. Most of the people I teach, they will, I will lose them if they take that <laughs> approach. I'm much better off with the overview and a couple of strong bullet points about how the game works and then let's go. And let's yeah. then ask a zillion questions, please, you know, at every step. And that just works so much better for some people. And I know that frustrates certain people because they're just like, no, no, no. I need to teach you everything about the game before we start. Otherwise, I don't get it. You know, it's like, well, that's not how these folks are going to learn. They don't learn like you. You don't learn like them. So you've got to figure that out. And it's uh, it's it's a very interesting process to me that I definitely had had to learn about over the years. Yeah, that is really interesting. We, I, I as the main teacher of the games, like I teach my wife so many games, and she never doesn't get frustrated. <laughs> like you'd think I would get better at teaching her games, uh, but I, I, she didn't get frustrated with Lords of Waterdeep. So maybe I need to take a page there and be like, okay, there you go, figure this out. Um, but then I have my brother who I game with occasionally, and when I teach him a game, it is the smoothest thing like i'll i'll teach it the exact same way i teach it to somebody else but he gets it like instantly and other people i have to answer like a bunch of questions which is totally fine and i expect that and want that but with him it's just like no nope, i get it let's go yeah yeah probably because we grew up playing games together yeah you probably have a couple of advantages there for sure yeah <laughs> yeah we're the people we were playing uh charades once and somebody like we, you know, you were guessing a, a word or something. And then somebody said like on the nose type thing, like, yes, you got it. And both him and I at the same time were like Mount Rushmore <laughs> because touching the nose, like for whatever reason, both of us that connected to Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah. That is a fun thing about those kind of games. Like just one, I've had experiences where like sisters playing and the clue that comes out for a word, everyone else is just like, What? But, you know, it's tying to some childhood thing, you know, and, and it may seem like a non sequitur, but it's just like one step away from the answer for them. You know? Yeah. And they get it. It's like, oh, wow. Um, I, I, mean, I think and I think games like that are, you know, that may not be the core of their design, but it's a part of their design is to have that stuff happen. And everyone else around the table just kind of marveling at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got even things, you know, code names, right? Like any sort of like. Uh, where you're given a code word essentially, or where you're trying to get people to guess a certain thing. It's yeah. you've got yeah, those I've, insides. I've, 
Yep, I've seen it with that too. The, the the teams we pick for code names now in our groups are almost based on that. Is putting people together who do have that knowledge. Like, oh, nice. Okay, this is going to be hard. It's going to be harder to beat them, but uh, I think people are overall going to have more fun this way. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Um, well, let's come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. Did you think of any while we were chatting? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, you, you warned me about this, but it doesn't mean that I've been thinking about that, it. That's okay. Yeah, right. Like we've been talking about so many other things. It's it's hard sometimes to to try and formulate a whole idea and pitch it to me at the end of the show. No, <laughs> um, I was sort of thinking while we were talking about Cascadia um, of just ridiculous retheme of it, essentially of like <laughs> you know you could have made it. Uh, fantasy animals, you know, you have dragons and wyverns and werewolves or whatever, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so you could, there's stuff there. Cthulhu, right? That's board game, uh, you know, gold mine right there. (laughs) Well, I think even in my original, the the bit of design notes I had for Cascadia, I was like, what the tiles are, you know, what these two levels of tiles are, I don't know. And I said, it could be, I think, you know, city building was one of the things that I oh, yeah. had written down as a possibility. Um, so it's that kind of thing where you're setting, you know, I don't know, like a building zone that you know, only allows certain kind of buildings. And then, you know, the, what are the wildlife tokens, you know, have to have to match those or something. Um, oh yeah. So it's definitely, definitely things. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I, it's, I, this is just triggering a thing, but you know, point salad now has a Pokemon themed. Oh version. Yeah. And I actually don't know quite how it plays out. Like, how does the theme apply? I'm, I'm not a Pokemon person to be, begin with, as much as I'm, of course, surrounded by board gamers, so many of which are Pokemon folks. Right. Um, but I thought that was kind of fascinating. I was like, yeah, Pokemon salad. Yeah, that, that's a change, all right. <laughs> um, so, but, but, it's, but it's interesting. There are games where the theme drives a lot of what goes on. Oh, yeah. um, and then there are games where it's just like, you know, people call it pasted on theme. And, you know, I'll, I don't mind that term, but unless you mean it as a, you know, in a derogatory way, because I think, you know, abstract games have pasted on themes and that's cool. And that's fun. I think Point Salad was great is a little wordplay for those of us in the industry. Um, you know, and it gave a great chance for this kind of, you know, punchy art that was fun and all of that, but didn't have to be salad. You know, there's a lot of things that could have been without changing the gameplay or even the feel much at all. Um, right. So it's definitely ripe, ripe for that. Um, and I, I guess Cascadia probably is as well. Maybe not quite as much as Point Salad. Point Salad seems easier. But Yeah, there definitely needs to be some tie-ins between things. But, but you can definitely do that kind of thing. Like uh, a- any sort of animal, really. You could even do like deep sea type stuff where we're like, you have different water levels maybe or different coral and deep trenches and you have different animals you put on there. My favorite's the fantasy or like, ooh, even just like cryptoid, crypt, cryptids, cryptoids. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> cryptids. Sounds like it should be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which could have like city environments and mountainous and forest and, you know, like, well, Sasquatches go well, but that's the thing, right? With this too, you know, you, I'm sure you heard this a million times. Like, why is there a fish here in this mountain? You know, like, or why is there fish here in this, uh, grasslands. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it's funny. There's a whole there's a whole thing on Twitter. You can search for a hashtag prairie salmon, um, <laughs> and uh, and it's funny because I like yeah I, I'm mostly amused by it, but I'm also like 
I also have to pause and say, um, salmon, you know, go from the ocean into the bay or whatever and up in, and they go through rivers that go through grassland that go through this. And some of them even go up as high as to be in mountains. Like, like, like the, the, the animals in Cascadia are actually matched, you know, to what they can be in. Is it absolutely perfect? No, because it had to mathematically be perfect, but right. none of them are actually nonsensical. Um, but you know, we didn't actually put even like a hint of a creek on the grasslands, so you know it's understandable why that's funny to folks. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's 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 a fun thing to see because it just shows how people are engaging with the game, and and no one's ever annoyed; they're just amused, <laughs> which I yeah. think is entirely appropriate. I think that's the perfect description of it, right? Like nobody's like, "This is stupid." Oh, what, what a stupid design! You know, they're like. <laughs> Like, oh, look at this yeah, prairie fish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I enjoy that. But that was the theme, ridiculous theme I came up with, was just retheming your already awesome game. <laughs> there you go. Um, I was trying, you were talking about that. It was funny. I was thinking about Cryptid because Cryptid is really interesting. I wonder how many people play Cryptid uh, and don't know what a Cryptid is. Oh. Because, sure, if you read the rules, it explains what the game is doing and what cryptids are. But let's say you didn't read the rule book and you just had it taught to you mechanically. There's, the art is not really cryptid-oriented per se. Um, you're just searching for a thing. You know, it's, it's out there and it could, could kind of be anything. And that's, that's yeah, that's, that's actually really fascinating. Cryptid is one of those games, I, I, I think I might have mentioned this on another cast, but I, I told people this recently. I said, I get really impressed with games that are of a genre or a mechanic that I'm not typically fond of or have a hard time with that I sit and play and go, wow, that was fun. That was well put together. And Cryptid was, was one of those. Um, I almost got to play Cryptid with Elizabeth Hargrave. That's when I met her for about a minute, but she had oh. played the game before me. I played at the same table as her. Um, and I played it. I got it done. I was like, that was a lot of fun. Like, I did, you know, that kind of deduction game is not usually up my alley, but this was really, really cool. Um, and I've had that experience with a few games. Quacks is another one. Bag building, not my favorite. Push your luck. Uh, it depends a lot whether I like a push your luck game. It's not one I just gravitate towards. Oh, push your luck. I love it. It's like, ah, I get a little leery, but some I like. And yeah. Quacks just seemed to put these together in a way that I was like, wow. I And what's funny is I resisted playing Quacks for a while because because of all that. I was like, yeah, it's probably not what I'm going to like. But everyone I knew who played it went, oh, my God, it's so good. And um, so eventually I was like, yeah, I tried this. And I was like, oh, I see why everyone's saying it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's justifiable. It, that's the hard part. You know, I – maybe it sounds like – you're a little bit this way of sometimes when something gets really, really hyped, you're like, well, it can't be that good. Right. <laughs> like I, I fight that sometimes. Um, I find for me being, you know, someone who's on the like board game, social media a lot. I, I don't resist it in general, but I pay attention to where the hype is coming from. Um, and mm. I don't know that I would have any advice to give there. I'm not sure I could break it down, but you know, <laughs> Often it depends on who I see, you know, saying things about, about, you know, a game. Like there's just folks in certain areas that if they are hyping this, then it, it matters to me. Like that, that somehow I, I, you know, think their opinion is, is going to weigh on whether I'm going to like that game or not. Whereas other people hyping it, I, I don't know them and hype is hype and that's fine, you know, whatever. But, but certain things come along. Um, you know, yeah. it's a great example, just a really pinpointed example. 
if I see Suzanne Sheldon say this roll and write is the best I've played this year, I'm going to be like, uh, where can I buy this? You know? Um, yeah. It's just like, you know, I know, um, you know, I, I, I know her taste and I know what she knows and, and I'm, I'm like, you know, yep, yep. I, I need to try that out. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have the same. Th- I mean, it's like the, in the industry, especially on Twitter, right? Every so every few months it gets brought up of like, well, pay, paid promotions, like how trusted, <laughs> how much can you trust yeah. a paid promotion? Uh, you know, if somebody paid to have this video done, how much value does that have? Um, which right. I think it does. I think it has a lot of value, but I do have my certain like podcasts that I listen to and I trust what they say because they will like review a game very honestly and They'll say the good, the bad, and and uh, I think as long as I don't know, but I think people who get paid to do that. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here, but yeah, <laughs> <It's okay>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's always an interesting conversation. I know I know what you're talking about, but it's yeah, it's a little bit about just knowing where you're getting your information from. And I agree, uh, all of those are valid and valuable. Um, yeah, it can, it can help you know to know what category certain things are in, so you know what you know what you're listening for. Um, but I, I know plenty of people out there who that's, you know, that's their, their, you know, a part of their income is, is doing, you know, previews and all of this sort of stuff for games and all of that. And there are a bunch of them that I trust a lot, but I, I'm paying more attention to what they're saying about the game than the like rating or, you know, you know, how highly they think it's, it's more like, what, what are they saying about the game? Um, yeah. and, and you can learn a lot from those because most of those folks know games very well and they're going to highlight the things that matter. And, um, and I, yeah, I, I love it. Well, and I've had quite a few content creators and maybe I don't, again, I, I never remember what was said off air or on air. So I won't say any names or anything, of course, mm-hmm. but like if they get paid to do a, you know, an overview of a game that they play and they just don't like, they'll still be very enthusiastic about it, but they won't use certain terms essentially. Mm-hmm. Like there's the, they won't lie about it. Right. Like yeah. they'll stay honest. They'll, present what it is they may present what they like more than what they dislike about it um it, it, more so it might just be like so if you're into bag building and and push your luck you know quacks is a great game for you type thing as opposed to like oh i love the bag building and the it's so you know like right. just that certain wording where um they're not being dishonest they you, you can sort of pick up on that especially as you like become very familiar with the creators and stuff um anyway yeah (laughs) so on that note (laughs) oh you know what there's a question i wanted to ask um what's your preferred play style like uh if you were playing with three other randys what would you what how would they be playing would they be playing aggressive friendly uh you know like would there be a lot of trash talk uh I, I am a little bit of a chameleon in this regard. Like it will depend a lot on who I am playing with. Um, uh-huh. And because I do play with lots of differing, you know, groups with differing uh, tendencies, you know, I do play a lot of that. I am not just personally trash talk is not, you know, not a thing I really enjoy much except in maybe quirky isolation here and there. Uh-huh. Um, so it's definitely not, not a big part of, of, of how I play or what I experience. Um, but I can play games where I like am so unconcerned with the competition 
that it's just like, I'm just, you know, going through the motion sounds negative. That's not what I mean. I'm just like, I'm playing and I'm not thinking hard about, am I going to win or not? Um, and then there are other times where, oh, I'm really thinking about, you know, how do I win this game? And I'm going to be upset if this person over here, you know, you know, beats me because I think I'm doing, you know, a good game. Um, and of course, that's one of the lovely tricks of, of many modern board games is hiding just enough information that uh, <laughs> most of us may not know. We can only have a feeling about where we are as far as are we going to win? Are we going to lose? Or are we going to be somewhere in the middle? Um, and I've, I've had those experiences where like, I'm like, I played pretty well. I'm happy. And we you know, do the final points. I'm like, I just got beat 120 to 90. And I thought <laughs> I was winning. What the heck? What did I do? <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and that can be, that can be kind of fun, but um, yeah, you know, I, 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 it's like, you know, I like a game like Concordia, you know, I, I do tend to really myself enjoy, you know, kind of a, a really getting to the point where, well, we have good conversation and it's fun, but I, I can have that focus of being heads down and, getting just enough time in the game to really think through, you know, what my, my best strategy is. Um, I'm not one who can strategize from beginning to end, you know, okay, this is where I'm going, but you know, I can think ahead enough to, that I enjoy that part of it and, and figuring it out. Um, but I also am one who you foil my plans. I can enjoy that too. <laughs> you know, good job. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the game, right? It's exactly. well played friend. Now I need yeah. to adjust and yeah. Very cool. Well, that that answers that perfectly. So, um, well, why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff, social media, everything. So for me, uh, as a you know, designer out there, really Twitter is 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 my home. Uh, so I am RF underscore Seattle on Twitter. Uh, so you can give me a follow there. Um, yes, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and all of that. But they're, they're all a little, little different. Twitter is, is the main spot to be. Um, maybe a little more Instagram these days with, with some of the some of the publishers getting a little more involved on Instagram, but mostly Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Randy, for coming on. I know you were busy getting ready to go to Germany, and now you've won it. You've won the Spiel de Yaras. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Congratulations. Well-earned, well-deserved. The game is phenomenal. So congratulations again. Now on to the generic outro. If you enjoyed the show, you can go to iTunes, rate, review it. That would help the show get seen more and just show appreciation. I love doing the show. I would do it if I didn't have any listeners because it's just so awesome to get to chat to all these amazing people in the community. But it also feels good to get a little recognition. You can also interact with me on Twitter at RyleNerd. You can email me, the board game community show at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I love interacting with people. Tell me what games you've been playing. Just feel free to chat with me. I'm a chill person. If you're interested in actual play podcasts, I do one where I am the BM, aka Bunker Master, for a TCRPG based on the TCRPG of the Borderlands universe. It is so much fun. It's mostly comedy there's a little drama in there some action but it's definitely more adult so if that ain't your cup of tea don't worry about it as with every guest you can go to the episode description and i will have links to their social media uh, or anything necessarily relevant to what we talked about so go check the episode description for those links 
If you want to see my beautiful face, then at the end of the month, the last Thursday of the month, I'm usually doing a show with the Board Game Captain and Board Game Grand, and we usually have a guest. It is called Board Game Insight, and it's on the Board Game Captain's channel. So you can check that out, chat with us live, or watch it after the fact. I sometimes also play games with Mr. Rao Gaming, Ryan Rao, and have an awesome time doing that. So you can go check out those videos. And that is it. Until next time, keep nerding out. Probably a couple years in, not very long, and maybe one or two years into playing board games as as an adult. So maybe uh, 10 years ago or so, um, we went on a little trip. Uh, with myself, my partner, my son, and a couple of his friends, a few of his friends. And we played a game of Catan. I think it must have been five or six players, because I know we had to use the the five to six player expansion. And one of the players um, just decided they had a single goal in the game. They got the rules and all that. We're talking like 10-year-olds. And they got one goal in the game. They wanted to win Longest Road. All they cared about. They didn't say that for a while, but after a while, I think you know the question came up of like, "Yeah, what were they doing exactly?" And 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 he did. And once he got it, (laughs) once he got like the fifteen, you know, once he had gotten the full, so there's no way anyone could take him. He was just like he was done. I did it, and you know, he didn't engage with you know half the game, and he went away just loving the experience because he accomplished what he wanted to do, and it was it was it was kind of fun to watch and also go, "Huh, okay, yeah." That makes sense. I get it.